We are in Nehemiah chapter 6, Nehemiah 6, we're looking at the schemes of the devil. Uh, In Acts 22, Paul has just been stoned, uh, where they tried to kill him, they tried to stone him to death in Lystra. And uh, at first, uh, he, he and Barnabas were there, at first they were sacrificing to them, and then they said, stop that. And then some Jews from Antioch said, Paul and Barnabas are evil men. And then the people picked up stones and tried to stone them to death. As a matter of fact, they thought Paul was dead. And so they dragged him out of the city only to find out he wasn't dead. I don't know about you, but if I had just gotten almost stoned to death, I think I would go away. Paul goes right back into the city and later on goes to several other cities where he says this in Acts 14, 22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. How many of us think too much like Americans? And we fail to note, we've seen too many Disney movies where it all ends happily ever after. And you know what? It does, but not here it doesn't. Not in this earth. The new heavens and the new earth, yes, happily ever after. But this life is about tribulation. It's about heartache. I remember Dr. Hannah, Dallas Theological Seminary would say, this is the worst sort of hell a believer will ever go through. And even this is not hell. But it's tough. It's very difficult. John Wesley, who was an 18th century preacher in England, many of the mobs would, would uh, come to him and they would try to kill him because they didn't like his preaching of the gospel. And his famous, one of his famous, famous quotes were, always look a mob in the face. Always look a mob in the face. What's that about? Well, I think it's threefold. Number one, to show them, I ain't scared of y'all. And number two, to show them God's compassion upon them, to look upon them as sheep without a shepherd. And then finally, number three, to show them this is God's will for my life. The tribulations that you see falling down upon me, even as you try to kill me, this is God's will. I'm not running from anything. Well, we see that in the book of Nehemiah, really, today. In chapter 4, we saw many of the external trials of mocking, threats, fatigue, criticism. In chapter 5, we saw the internal division, and they were, Jews were being sold to the Gentiles, and really high exorbitant interest rates was put upon them, and so Nehemiah tries to fix that. And now today, we have external enemies, but it's different than chapter 4. You know why? They're not coming after the people anymore. They're going after the head, Nehemiah. That's an old boxing metaphor. Kill the head and the body will die. You don't literally kill it, but you know if you can knock this man out, he's gonna, the rest of the body just collapses. Jesus has it in a better way. He says from Zechariah 13 and also found in Matthew 26, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. They're gone. And so this is what these men try to do. They're going to go after the leaders. And so we're going to take a look at four schemes of the devil. It's not exhaustive, just to be clear. Uh, There's many more schemes of the devil, but these four we'll speak about. They all begin with the letter I. I'm thankful for a guy named uh, Cyril and Barber. These two guys uh, were able to come up with four terms that all fit with the letter I, and so we're going to utilize those four. Verses 1 through 4, we'll see intrigue. Verses 5 through 9 is innuendo. Verses 10 through 14, intimidation. 
In verses 15 through 19 is infiltration. Now, let me reintroduce you to chapter two, uh, the enemies of Nehemiah and the enemies of God's people. We'll see them in chapter six, verse one and two. This is the word of God. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafarim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. There's our three enemies. You saw them in chapter two. Sanballat is the governor of Samaria, which is right next door, fairly close to where Nehemiah is. Then you have Tobiah. Tobiah is, they call him the Ammonite. We really don't know if he was an Ammonite because he has a Jewish name. And then you have Geshem the Arab. Geshem may have been the most powerful of them all. He took over Edom and Moab. But I want you to note this. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem have nothing in common. They're they're different nationalities, different ethnicities. They live in different parts of the area. They have nothing in common except for a common desire to destroy what is holy in God's eyes, in which case it's Jerusalem, and in this chapter, it's Nehemiah. Do you ever see anything like that else in Scripture, where two groups of people that have nothing in common decide to seek to destroy what is holy in God's eyes. Well, yeah, you see that in the New Testament. You have some people as legalistic as the Pharisees locking arms with people as pagan as the Herodians, and they work together along with the Sadducees and other groups to go after what is holy in God's sight. But the Lord takes care of his own. So we're gonna see the first scheme here is intrigue, intrigue. Uh, Thomas Brooks talks about this, he, he considers it really the first evil device that Satan uses on mankind in Adam and Eve's time. He, call, he came up with a book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Thomas Brooks was an old Puritan. If you don't read the Puritans, you ought to. They've got some really good stuff. He writes this, to present the bait and hide the hook. This is what Satan does. To present the golden cup and hide the poison. To present the sweet the pleasure and the profit that may flow in upon the soul by yielding to sin and by hiding from the soul the wrath and misery that will certainly follow the committing of sin. It's the hook. I know you and I, I'm guessing, if you're like me, if I think when I just decide to give into that sin, if I will just yield to that sin, that temptation, there will be relief. It's not. It's momentary relief. And then it's more bondage. And so what are they saying? Well, they're saying just, uh, well, first off, Nehemiah, he's rebuilt the wall. There's no breach left except for these areas where you would put the doors and the gates and the wall's done. And so they're saying, send a message. Uh, Come meet, meet in the plain of Ono. The plain of Ono is 25 miles away. Uh, Judah's border with Samaria, it's kind of no man's land. And here's the thing, if Nehemiah accepts that invitation, he will be gone for two days, at least. But Nehemiah knows something. He says, they intended to do me harm. What sort of harm? Probably to assassinate him and then perhaps attack Jerusalem at that point. And yet, what does Jesus tell us to do? Matthew 10, 16, and 17, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. 
So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And here's the thing, most of us stop there. But if you kept reading just three more words, you know what it says? Beware of men. And, and not just men, just to be clear, it's men and women. But beware of men. You see, Jesus knows that we are sheep. And as Luke taught this morning in Sunday school, dumb sheep. And we are given to intrigue. We fall for it. You know, maybe they said to uh, Nehemiah, we're just going to discuss peace and unity. And you know what's interesting? Why don't they meet in Jerusalem? No, you see, that's not what the enemy does. He wants to pull you away. And he takes you to the plain of Anno. And so this word intrigue, it's Latin meaning to entangle. We can easily get entangled from the world, can we not? And the reason, you think, why, do, why are we so easily entangled by the world? Well, I think if you sat for a moment, you'd figure it out. You want to be accepted by the world. You know, it's, it's a dead-end street, but you want the, the acceptance, the approval of the world in your, at your work, your friends, opportunities to go to a party. Do you compromise? You bet you do. And when we do that, we get entangled. We have fallen to intrigue. You know, there's many ways that we can fall, not just those, some of those ways, but I noticed in any way that there's, it's real popular these days to criticize the church. And we are unwise as believers if we don't point out our sin. We need to, just to be clear. We're supposed to be a prophetic voice, but be clear, we're not supposed to beat up the church. We are the church. The Lord does not encourage us to beat up our brothers and sisters. Actually, he encourages us to love one another. And yes, we need to feel free and kind and loving enough to confront and love. But I see so many believers do this. Many times it's off of social media or something else. Like, why are you attacking the church? This is the body of Christ. And I think the reason why is they want to be accepted by the world. And we need to beware. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so you might think, well, why do we give in to intrigue? Well, I told you, we love the world. There's a fear of man that we have going on. But I think also another aspect is we doubt the power of the word. Well, amen it in a church service, but let me ask you that. Is this enough for you? Jesus says, when they're coming into Samaria, he has no food. And Jesus says, I have food you know nothing about. And then the apostles are going, who gave him food? They may have been saying, why didn't they give some for us? His, his food is to do the will of him who sent him. That's our food as well. So we see this. And the results when we fear man, when we doubt the power of the word, when we give in to intrigue, we got two really bad Results, number one, we have a lack of discernment that naturally comes from that. When we don't trust the Bible to direct us, we trust all these other different books, people, not discounting great books, but when we discount Scripture as compared to those, we have a real lack of discernment. Hebrews 5.14, it says, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So we, we have a problem with discernment. We also have a problem with distraction. We become a distracted church. 
You know, you had temptations for this in the, in the book of Acts. In Acts 6, as the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected. And you say, well, that's wrong. And it was. And the apostles could have said, hey, you know what? Let's set aside the word of God for now. Let's take care of the widows and the poor. And the apostles make it very clear that would actually be wrong for them to do it. They say this in Acts 6, 2, it's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God. So they're able to appoint some other men that can do it and do it very well. But let's not trade off the preaching of the word for social action, right? Are you with me on this? I'm not discounting social action. I'm not discounting helping the poor and things of this nature. But it's always coupled with the preaching of the word of God. You see, that's what happens. We can get distracted. It's very easily done. So how do you fight intrigue? You keep the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? If you, somebody were to ask you, an unbeliever, what's the main thing? I hope you would answer great commandment, great commission living. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what about the great commission? Well, Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, 15, Mike quoted it. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. Luke 24, 47 and 48, repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending y'all. Acts 1, 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You think Jesus could have quoted it more often? And you know, yeah, what happens to us when we get intrigued by the world? We, we become, we lose our discernment. We get really distracted with other things instead of keeping the main thing, the main thing. Something else we got to watch out for, verse three and four. Notice how he responds. And I sent messages to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. So not only are we very wise, I hope hope you caught it, to keep the main thing the main thing, but also to be wise as serpents. It's not good to be naive. It's not, the word is used in Proverbs to be simple. Listen to the phrases it uses in Proverbs 14, 15. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Proverbs 27, 12, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. You could say a lot of things about Nehemiah. If we could bring him today, he would say, oh yeah, I'm a big sinner, just like all of y'all. But one thing you wouldn't say is you wouldn't call him naive. It's not good to be naive. It's not good to think the best of everyone. (laughs) Now, you should treat everyone kindly, and you certainly should be um, wise in that action. But remember what a big sinner you are. So you should be wise in the way you act toward outsiders and even believers. But notice this. How many times does he try this? Four times do they try to bring Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is so funny. You get the idea. He goes, hey, I would love to come, but I'm, I'm doing this great work that y'all keep trying to shut down. 
four times. And you go, why, why did they try it four times? And I would say the same reason why Satan tries it several times in our own lives. It's because it works. And we get worn down. It reminds me of that old Rich Mullins song, or one of the lines from his song, we are not as strong as we think we are. So that's scheme number one, intrigue. Let's take a look at scheme number two, verse five through seven. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it, in it was written, it is reported among the nations and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become the king. And you have also set up these prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. So they have sent four letters and they've been closed. Let me explain this. Uh, most letters written at that time were on papyrus or on leather, a street of, rather a sheet of leather. They would roll it up, they'd tie it with a string, and they'd stamp a clay uh, stamp upon it. Not this one. It's open. Why would you send an open letter? Because you don't care who reads it, and you're kind of hoping everybody will. It's, you could read this, and you would read this. And so they want whoever's delivering the letter to Nehemiah go, oh, this one's an open letter. Let, let me check it real quick. And they're reading going, what's going on? What is this guy trying to do? I thought he was just building the wall to protect us. He's trying to set himself up as king. So we have numbers two. The second scheme is called innuendo. It's the Latin word to nod. I'm saying this, but as I nod, you know what I really mean. And I can always deny what I just said, but you catch the nod. And that's what's happening here. They're saying, you're setting up this uh, uh, wall. Nehemiah, are you setting yourself up as king? Are you really rebelling against Persia? Is that what you're doing? And that's what seems to be going on here. Because remember, this worked in Ezra chapter four as they were beginning to build the temple and word was reported to the Persian king, and they shut it down. And now, look, they're saying, well, we'd hate, we'd hate to have to report this to the king of Persia. He wouldn't like to hear about you wanting to rebel. And so they're saying, no, please, come and meet. Let's do this thing. And it's interesting because uh, Geshem is one of the guys, he's the Arab, and he says, you and the Jews intend to rebel, and kind of the gist of the text is, Nehemiah, you're bringing these Jews into your own treachery. And everybody's saying it. It's the Hebrew word goyim. Goyim is the term that they would use to describe the, the other nations. And you know the Jews would read this and go, all the Gentiles believe that we're rebelling. Nehemiah, what are you doing? This was meant to foment all this rebellion here amongst the people, all this problems. So verse seven, also they uh, set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these events. Come now, let us take counsel together. Once again, let's meet to diffuse this rumor. Boy, aren't you glad there's never rumors that kind of spring up in churches? Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> that would be a lie. I, I was a part of another ministry one time where I was talking to, to the group of folks and I said, listen, in order for us to do this ministry right, 
We have to make sure it's a safe environment for our little ones here. Uh, if we can't make it a safe environment, and I knew we could, and I told them we could, then we shouldn't do it. Let's do this thing right. And wouldn't you know it, a rumor came around back to me a few days later, and the rumor is, Jeff, you're one to shut down this ministry. I said, I want to shut down this ministry. I want to make it a safe place for folks here that it's, it's not as dangerous as it seems to be right now. Sounds like you want to shut it down. No. Now, what, what happened, sadly, is some people started talking. And what should you do instead? You should go straight to the person and don't ask them to lunch. I've talked to you all about this before. <laughs> I don't want your lunch dates to confront me. Call me, pick up the phone. I want to come to the office. Can we talk? It's going to be awkward. It's going to be worse at a lunchtime. Don't do that. And I won't do that to you either. You always go to the person, Matthew 18. Jeff, I think you've sinned against me. Let's go, let's, let's talk about this. And sadly, we go to others and we start to go, if he shuts down this ministry, what's going to happen? Hey, what do you think's going to do? What should we do? Instead of, and the, the smart, wise person is the person says, have you gone to talk to him first? This is not rocket science, folks. This is the Bible. It tells you to do this. Sorry, this is becoming a sermon within a sermon. <laughs> Verse 8 and 9, then I sent to him saying, no such things as you have said, uh, as you say, have been done, for you invented them out of your own mind. In the Hebrew, it's out of your own heart. But we get the gist when we say mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. In Hebrew, hands are a sign of power. If your hands drop, you're discouraged. And so what Nehemiah is saying is, Lord, strengthen my hands. If their hands drop, at least strengthen mine as I'm leading these people. Give encouragement. See, at the end of the day, you cannot control what others may say. Boy, that's true. Poor Richard's Almanac, Benjamin Franklin wrote it like this. Since I cannot govern my own tongue, though within my own teeth, how can I hope to govern the tongues of others? So how do you fight this sort of innuendo? Well, I'll give you three steps, or the Bible gives you three steps. First one is this. I think there are times we need to defend. We do need to defend. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul defends himself from the lies of the false apostles. He doesn't blow it off. He defends it because the gospel is at stake, and he knows that. Uh, there are times we need to ignore. There's times that we need to ignore. 1 Samuel 17, 29 and 30, as David is coming down to bring supplies to his older brothers that are fighting the Philistines, he hears about Goliath, and he says, why aren't we fighting this guy? And Eliab, his brother, says, I know why you came down. You came down to the battle because you wanted to see the fight, that's why. And what David does is interesting. He says, what have I done now? Was it but a, not but a word? And he turned away from him. He turned away. Not going to pay attention to what his oldest brother has to say. Ecclesiastes 7.21 says this, Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you will hear your own servant cursing you. For you know that in your heart you yourself have cursed others. So there are times that we need to just ignore this. This is not from the Lord. Uh, Spurgeon wrote about this in the blind eye and the deaf ear in his book, Lectures to My Students. And he kind of walks a middle ground, and I hope it's encouraging to you. Sometimes you defend, sometimes you ignore. Listen to what he says. 
You cannot stop people's tongues, and therefore the best thing is to stop your own ears, and never mind what is spoken. Yet we cannot shut our ears as we do our eyes, for we have no ear lids. That's a good point. Your blameless life will be your best defense, and those who have seen it will not allow you to be condemned so readily as your slanderers expect. Yet... There are expectations, or rather exceptions, to this general rule. When distinct, definite, public charges are made against a man or woman, he is bound to answer them, and answer them in the clearest and most open manner. To decline all investigation is, in such a case, practically to plead guilty. And the general public ordinarily regard a refusal to reply as a proof of guilt." So there are times you defend, there's times you ignore. And then the next question is, when do you defend, when do you ignore? And that would be your third step. You take it to the Lord. You take it to the Lord, and he's the one that will help you decide. He's the one that helps you. Psalm 55, 22, it says, cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will not allow the righteous to be shaken. That's the same quote as 1 Peter 5, 7. Joseph Scriven, you may not be familiar with him. Scriven was an Irishman, and he was aged roughly 25 years old. And the next morning, he would get married to his bride. He was so excited, only to find out that that night before he was to be married, his wife um, to be went swimming and drowned the night before they were to be married. In heartache and pain, he decided he would go and move to Canada. He saw some great opportunities to do ministry and teaching. He met another lovely lady in his late 30s who he decided to to marry, asked her, and she agreed. She caught pneumonia, and she died. And he had great heartache in his life. And his mom over in Ireland, he wrote her a note uh, he wrote poetry, and he wrote a poem um, that was called Pray Without Ceasing. She was sick, and uh, it helped her. We don't know it. We don't know that poem is Pray Without Ceasing. You see, it, it was never meant to be a song. It was a poem. And somebody took it later on, and one of the stanzas is this, and we sang it this morning. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. And so when we have those times where the innuendos hit us and um, terrible things said about us, we, we defend, sometimes we ignore, but above all, we take it to the Lord in prayer. So, let's take a look at the third scheme. See if I can make it through this sermon. (laughs) Intimidation. Now when I went into the house, verse 10, now when I went to the house of Shimeiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetuel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. So this was happening in the house of Shimeiah, and he's confined 
He shut up in the home and you go, why is that happening? Well, it may have been because he's fulfilling a vow or he's ceremonially unclean or is there some infirmity? Uh, why is Nehemiah listening to this man? Well, we find out he's a prophet in verse 12. And Shimeiah seems to have received a word from the Lord. Uh, and he says, let's meet tonight in the house of God within the temple. Close the doors. They're coming to kill you at night. So this is a prophetic revelation. <laughs> Be careful when somebody says, I have the word from the Lord to you. Be careful, ladies and gentlemen. So he tells him, let's go hide in the temple and you'll be safe. So what is Nehemiah's response? Well, first off, obviously he's gone to hear from the prophet. He believes him to be a prophet, it seems. But now when he hears him say that, what is he going to respond with? Verse 11, but I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Two reasons he says no to this prophet seemingly prophet of the Lord. Number one, that's cowardice. The sea captain refuses, if he'd be like a sea captain refusing to go down with a ship. I'm the one who hides. What about all these other people? Where will they go? And so he says, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this. Fear would become widespread. It's cowardice. And number two, most importantly, it's against the law. Listen to me. An accused murderer could actually seek asylum at the altar outside the temple but you could never go inside the temple. Only Levites were allowed in the sanctuary of God. The last leader who tried to go in the temple, do you remember his name? King Uzziah. He was uh, king of Judah in 2 Chronicles 26, and the Lord blessed him tremendously. And he was doing wonderful things, and he decided he would like to burn his incense in the, in the temple to the Lord. He loved the Lord and he was going to play that role. And God had said before, no, the kingship, the line of Judah and the priesthood, the line of Aaron are gonna be separate until one would come that would take on both of those as well as the prophetic ministry and that would be our Lord Jesus Christ. But you couldn't do that. So King Uzziah, he comes in. I shouldn't laugh. Um, he, he comes in and he's got his censer and Azariah and 80 priests, valiant men, the Bible says, they came in and they stopped him. And they said, uh, Azariah says to him, oh no, you're not coming in. You can imagine what was going on with the nation right now. Like, who do you follow? Who do you follow? And Uzziah gets angry with him. And wouldn't you know, uh, Azariah says, what you're doing is not pleasing to the Lord. Basically, this is not going to end well for you. Uzziah gets angry, and as he gets angry, something breaks out on his forehead. What is it? It's leprosy. And at that point, they're rushing him out, and it says in the text, and Uzziah was rushing to get out as well. And he was a leper to the day of his death. Let me tell you what, folks. Beware of bad advice from others even a fellow believer who accidentally encouraged you to sin. <laughs> like, follow your heart. Just follow your heart. It's horrible counsel. It's actually opposed to Scripture as well. Proverbs 28, 26, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. And so what does he say? I will not go in. How does he know to not go in? This is a prophet of the Lord because of 1 John 4, 1. It says to us, believers, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. 
For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Let me tell you what, some of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life is when I trusted my heart. And so this prophet, seeming prophet says this and Nehemiah says, I'm not gonna go in because what you're saying does not line up with the word of God. That's how you test the spirits. Whatever you receive from others, you compare with scripture. Tommy Nelson at Denton Bible Church would put it this way. Here's the principle we follow. The Lord will never counsel you against his word. He will never do it. Deuteronomy 18.20 tells us what to do with these prophets. In the Old Testament, the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Now, I don't think we should use that today. But at the time of Israel, that's what happens. So is Shimei a wolf? Yeah, I think he is. I think he is. But Nehemiah doesn't know that. As far as believers, just make sure that you're lining up whatever you receive from others with the word of God. Cannot tell you the number of men and women that have come to me and said, I'm in love and this is the person I'm gonna marry. Oh, it's wonderful. Let's sit down and talk about this. Only to find out that one is not a believer. And each time that I've spoken to that person, what did they do? They married him anyway. Because they say, God will forgive me, and I'm in love. And so at this point, we need to remember what exactly we're doing when we do that. We're removing, as if we could, we're removing God from his throne, and we're saying, I am God of the universe right now. And it's blasphemy. Don't do it. So verse 12 and 13, and I understood and saw that God had not sent him and he had, prophet, and he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin so that he could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. You know what the word bad name is in Hebrew? You know what it is in English? It's bad name. It's, you know exactly what it means. Uh, he wants to discredit him. And Nehemiah is like, God did not send him. Uh, be careful. Uh, first, uh, rather, Titus 1.16 says, they profess to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. Be careful, folks. Um, that we don't discredit the good name of Jesus Christ by our actions. Mom's in the room. Do you encourage your daughter to follow the Lord at the same time you don't submit to her daddy? Dad's in the room. Do you encourage your son to follow the Lord at the same time you won't love his mama? You see, marriage is the quintessential picture of the gospel. You want to show your kids what the gospel looks like? Let's see the dad love his mom. Let's see the mom submit to her husband. All within the purview of following the word of God. How, why would we say believe in Jesus when you deny the very Lord by your life? So be careful. How do you fight intimidation? Because they're trying to intimidate him. Well, two ways. Number one, you obey the word of God. And that's what's going on here. Nehemiah's like, I'm not going in the temple. And you can imagine the prophet going to other people, going, I've told Nehemiah he's going to die. He needs to come in the temple. And Nehemiah said, I ain't going. You can't make me. I'm not going to go against the word of God. So that's one way we fight intimidation. Verse 14, 
is another way. He says, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah, the rest and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. For the first time we see this person, Noadiah, and you go, who's she? Well, she's a prophetess. You, ha- you could have in scriptures, you would have uh, men and women serve as prophet, prophet and prophetesses. Most of the time it's men. But Miriam was considered a prophetess. Deborah, Huldah, Philip's daughters in the New Testament. Just to be clear what a prophet or prophetess is, it's not so much preaching and teaching, it's prophesying. And you say, well, that doesn't help me. Well, <laughs> it's two things. It's forthtelling the praises of God. They would sing out, cry it out. They would forthtell, or they would foretell the future as lined out by the Lord. The true future, they would let you know. If ever they gave a future that didn't really happen, what was that person? It's a false prophet. How many mistakes could they get? Three strikes? No, one. So um, she's doing the same sort of thing. She's in cahoots with the enemies of God. And so Nehemiah is, number one, not only obeying the word of the Lord, he's calling out to God, remember, oh God, remember. Remember, God cannot forget, just to be clear. He's omniscient. Omniscience can't forget. He's God, but he chooses not to remember. Praise the Lord for that. Psalm 103, he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. Why? Because he chooses not to remember them anymore because the son has died for them. So why is he telling God to remember? Because when you see the sort of remember God, remember, it's it's a call on the Lord to act. And what does Nehemiah want God to do? This sounds really wicked. He wants God to commit revenge. God, commit revenge. Is it wrong for God to commit revenge? No, it's righteous, it's perfect, it's holy. We're not called to commit, but he does. Revenge is God's business. Romans 12, 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we, we follow the Lord, we call on the Lord to act. And then finally, we've got device number four. And quite honestly, I think this one's the most dangerous of the four, and that is infiltration. Chapter six, verse 15 and 16. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, which was roughly August, September, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, or in the Hebrew, fell greatly in their own eyes. For they these unbelievers, perceive that this work has been accomplished with the help of our God. I mean, consider this, y'all. All these different nations see these Jews gather together and they start working on a wall that seemingly has been down for hundreds of years and they rebuild it in 52 days. Even unbelievers go, this is the finger of God. I don't know any other way we can explain this. So, and it reminds us, uh, for us as believers, one day, unbelievers will also have to state the truth about the Lord, though they will not embrace it in faith. Philippians 2 tells us that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You think they're going to, this is not universalism. You think an unbeliever is going to go fall on his knees and trust Christ? No way. He hates him, but he's got to fall on his knees and he has to say the words. Wow. 
So uh, 52 days. Now, just to be clear, Josephus, the Jewish historian, said it actually took them two years and four months. Who do you believe? Well, Josephus was a decent historian, but he was not always accurate. This is one of those examples. He also put Nehemiah during the reign of Xerxes, not Artaxerxes. So sometimes he could be a little slipshod in his history. But we do know for, for a fact that Athens rebuilt her wall in a month, the, the wall that had been destroyed by the Persians. So it's not within the impossibility that the wall could have been rebuilt in 52 days. It's the word of God. We believe it. And note, he says, we did it with the help of our God. Psalm 127, 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stands awake in vain. I like the way Augustine put it. He says, pray as everything dependent on God. Work as though everything depended on you. And I think I would add that last part and say, knowing that it is God who works into will for his good pleasure. Huh. So what do we have in verse 17 through 19? We've got the worst one. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son of, son-in-law of Shechemiah, Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son Johanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. You know, you've thought all along that Sanballat is the worst of them all. You're wrong. Tobiah is the most dangerous. You see, Tobiah, he's considered a Jew. He's infiltrated himself among the Jews. He's called an Ammonite, but he may have been half Jewish or married into a Jewish family. And get this, they are bound by oath to him. Remember, I don't know if y'all do, but the Jewish nobles in the last few chapters, they wouldn't work. Why won't they work? They're tied in right here to this guy. They're either married into Tobiah's family or they're basically, they're owned by Tobiah because they do financial dealings with him. They've sold out. And so they're not only, they're not only saying, hey, take it easy on him. They're actually saying, you know, Nehemiah, Tobiah's a decent fella. He's done a lot of good things for us. And Tobiah knows what a wicked man he is. And so what we have here is we have infiltration. I think it is most dangerous for churches Satan breaks the ranks of believers and infiltrates false believers in our midst. Do we have it here at Grace? We have it here at every church. The Bible's very clear. We have, the church always has wheat and tares in it. I'll never forget back in the 1990s where this happened. There was an ecumenical statement put out called Evangelicals and Catholics Together. It was a statement that, that spelled out, and I quote, the need for Protestants and Catholics to deliver, here's the, here's the scary phrase, a common witness to the world. Common witness. Now, just to be clear, y'all, um, my father is Roman Catholic background. I have a love, great love for Roman Catholics. And we should remember, we can be co-belligerents with uh, Roman Catholics. We can stand with them against abortion, against sexual sin of all kinds, adultery and otherwise, uh, restraints on religious liberty. We can, we can uh, stand for that or rather fight against that, but never as a common witness that we are somehow together 
Uh, this was signed by Chuck Colson, even J.I. Packer, who I have a lot of respect for, endorsed by Bill Bright of Campus Crusade for Christ, now, now called Crew. Uh, Chuck Colson told a story of an evangelical pastor who swapped pulpits with a Roman Catholic to show that what binds us together is stronger than what divides us. That is a lie. That is a complete lie. You see, the problem with the ECT document, Evangelicals and Catholics Together, it went too far because it claimed theological agreement. And you had guys like D. James Kennedy, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul that said, no, you're denying faith alone in Christ alone. And if you don't know this, then you should know this. Uh, Roman Catholicism, the, the documents themselves, they condemn faith alone and Christ alone. It goes back to the Council of Trent in the 1500s. They've never changed their views. And yet, remember what Paul says in Galatians 1.9, when the Galatians were saying, a person is saved by faith alone. Oh, by the way, the boys, they need to get circumcised. That's the only thing, just that thing. And faith alone, and Paul says, that's not faith alone. As a matter of fact, he says in Galatians 1.9, as we have said before, so I say now again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Why? Because somehow you're adding to salvation. You're adding some good works. Now, just to be clear, can a Roman Catholic man or woman still be saved? Of course, if he or she is trusting in Christ alone for their salvation, not in what they've done, not in any righteousness. I would say the same thing. Can a Baptist be saved? Can a Methodist be saved? Can a Presbyterian be saved? Yes, faith alone and Christ alone. So you could fast forward 30 years and you will see several persons and groups out there that are seeking to infiltrate, that are seeking to marry false beliefs with the Bible. I'm not gonna go through them now or we'll never get out. How do you, how do you fight infiltration? Well, how does verse 19 ends? Look up here, I'll tell you. There's no response. No response. How do you fight that though, Jeff? I'm glad you asked. Acts 20, verse 27, Paul says, I, I declare to them the whole counsel of God. You see, the Bible isn't divided up into sermons. The Bible is divided up into books and the whole counsel of God is all 66 books. So, how do you fight infiltration? When we consider intrigue, innuendo, intimidation, infiltration, y'all, they're coming. They're here today. How do you fight them, these devices of Satan? I've got a t-shirt back at the house that I really love. It's, it's a, it says in big, bold, white letters off of a red t-shirt, it says, Jesus saves. And yet, let's just be clear. Jesus doesn't save me from intrigue, from innuendo, from intimidation, from infiltration. He doesn't save me from any of those. You see, Jesus, he walked through those, right? He, he walked through intrigue, innuendo, intimidation, infiltration. And because he walked through those, he saves me as we walk together through intrigue, innuendo, intimidation, infiltration. He doesn't save me from them. 
Remember, we go through this life, we, through many tribulations or temptations can be defined, we must enter the kingdom of God. We have to walk through them. He didn't save me from them. He walks, me, walks with me through them. And so what I would say, you fight infiltration the same way Jesus did, the same way he fought all these, Ephesians 6, 11. Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Many of us today go, I don't have the strength for this. And I would say, amen. And neither do I. None of us do. And that's why we've got Ephesians 6, 11. We're strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. So we put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Listen to me. God is not raising pixie sticks. He is fashioning sons and daughters that look like his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And if he went through those things, are we somehow to get a pass? No. You see, he joins us in the fight and he fights for us, but only as we are finding our strength in him. If you're an unbeliever today, you have no belt of truth, you have no breastplate of righteousness, you have no shoes ready for the gospel of peace, you have no shield of faith, no helmet of salvation, and even your sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, you don't even like, and it has no effect upon you because you have no spirit of God in you. The Bible describes you as poor, blind, naked. So my encouragement to you today is come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Realize that you have to throw everything down at the cross. You cannot save yourself. You will never be good enough. And come to trust in him. And if you're a believer today, take heart. I've only listed four of his, Satan's billions of the schemes that he has planned for us. But you know what? This is encouraging to me. He can never even, even come to our midst. He can never send any of his minions into our midst without the expressed approval of the Lord. Everything has to cross the desk of the Almighty. Amen. And remember, he's doing this for our good. The Lord is gonna do this, but you be strong in the Lord. Stop fighting with your own strength. Father, we thank you for the day and thank you for your grace. Lord, help us that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. I pray for anybody in here who does not yet know the Savior. I'm sure there's some, maybe there's many, Lord, would you grant them salvation? Would you help them that they would, at this point, trust in Jesus alone? And would you help us as we struggle? This life is about struggle. Forgive us for watching so many happily ever after movies and trying to appropriate them to our lives when we really, the next life is the happily ever after. And we pray that you would bring it soon through the person of your son, Jesus Christ. His name we pray, amen.